Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Kings chapter 22. I went to this scripture um, a few weeks ago. Pastor Larry made a reference in his sermon about a false prophet who had some bad advice. Didn't mention him by name, but he described him. And I turned there and started reading and studying, and I said, Oh, what a great message. What a wonderful message. And as I started going through this, I just got up one morning and nothing else came. So this is not the message that I came to this scripture to give you. But I truly feel that this is the message that God has us to have. It's a lengthy one. Um, We're going through 36 verses here. I time myself. It takes me six and a half minutes to read this. We won't do that this morning. We'll just do it like we do Sunday school, like some of the Calvary Chapel boys do it. We'll just go verse by verse and we'll work our way through this and we'll let God lead us as we go. So with that being said, let's open in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time that we've set aside just to open your word, Lord. And God, we pray that you use it to speak to each and every one of us here, Lord, in a clear and concise message that you have to be delivered. God, we praise you, we love you, and we honor you for it. In and through the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right, what we've got going on here is if you'll recall in the book of Kings, um, Ahab, let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Ahab, good king, bad king. Ahab was a bad king. Who was Ahab's wife? Let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Jezebel. How could could Ahab be anything but a bad king? Uh, But he had been in a battle with the Assyrians... And God had allowed him to conquer them back in 1 Kings, I think it was 19. And he allowed Ben-Hadad to slip away. Took a surrender and allowed him to slip away. And uh, um, Ahab was approached by many wonderful prophets who came to him throughout his reign, who called him out. And Elijah, toward the end of his ministry... Praise God, the boldness of Elijah when he approached him with not following God and not leading the people in the way that God would have him to go. So our basis for our story here is when they fall in the hills and then uh, the Assyrian says, oh, it's because their God is the God of the plains. So we'll get them in the plains. So they came back, fought in the plains. I'll whooped again. Uh, we didn't finish them off. They didn't finish them off like they were supposed to. Ahab didn't go through like, uh, you know, so many people tended not to do in the Bible when God gave them a direction and a purpose. Uh, they took it as far as they thought they should and didn't finish well. And if there's one thing that I picked up a new Bible at the 1st of June, if there's one thing that I find myself writing in the margins of my Bible more than anything else at this point in my life, it's finished well. 
So we have here, let's, let's just start out and read our scripture and just uh, as we come to it. And they continued there years without a war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat, good king, bad king, good king. What is a good king like Jehoshaphat doing hanging out with the likes of Ahab? Well, I really can't answer that, but I can tell you the tactics of the devil. And he's tried to oppress, and he's tried to beat down Jehoshaphat. And he's under the protection of God, so now he's brought him to associate with less desirable people. And he's going to try to attack him and undermine him and get at him that way. So people call that plan A and plan B of how the Bible, how the devil tries to uh, manipulate his people. So now he's down, being buttered up. Um, the account in Second Chronicles 18 tells us that uh, Ahab put on the dog, killed the fetid calf, had a feast, quite a quite a uh, shindig for Jehoshaphat. So he brings him in, butters him up, schmoozes him over real good. Oh, I've said that wasn't a word. I proved to her it was. Schmoozing is a word. I've been schmoozing her for years. Um, and the king of Israel said unto the servants, Know ye that Ramoth Gilead is ours, and we still be, and take it not, out of the hand of the king of Assyria. That's what I just told us here. He didn't finish the job. That's why the job is still before him to be done. And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to the battle of Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Now Jehoshaphat's made a mistake here. And it's... uh, pretty abundantly clear and he recognizes it straight away and tries to back up but he's in a bad situation he's been brought down he's been thoroughly entertained there's only one obvious answer that he can give at this point and that's yeah absolutely you know my people is your people no not at all not at all Jehoshaphat was a a king who tried to follow the commandments of God and tried to lead his people in a godly and righteous and holy way. So moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire first for the word of the Lord. He messed up, didn't he? Should he have answered him before he... Ask what the Lord would have him to do. Now we've got examples all throughout the Bible of the bad things that happen when we answer questions before we've had time to consult God on them. Joshua experienced this when the Gibeonites came to him after he had routed Ai and Jericho, the Gibeonites looked up and said, we're next. we got to do something. we got to make a peace treaty with these people. So what they do? They went out and got some ragged old 
horses, donkeys, mules, got some old shoes, dried out stale bread, some old wine skins. And they packed themselves up, uncut hair, and took off across the hill and met up with Joshua and said, We've come from a far away country where we're not on your radar. We just we just need to make a pact with you. Said we don't we don't want no trouble with you. What did Joshua do before he consulted God? Absolutely. We can do that. So they come go across the hill and there they are. Well you've deceived us. Well, it's too late. We've already made an agreement. You can't destroy us. Well, you're gonna serve us then. So we see how badly things can go when we don't consult God first and we read the Bible as we should. Verse 6. Let's see. The king, then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it unto thy hand of the king. So Jehoshaphat says, you know, we need to ask the Lord about this. Um, we need to get consult some prophets of the Lord. And we need to get them in here, and we need to find out what God's will is in this matter. So Ahab went out, called in 400 prophets. Every one of them said exactly what Ahab needed them to say. Go up. Prosper. And I don't know how, but verse 7, But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? We've got 400 here. They're prophets of the Lord. What makes you think what they're telling you is not the truth. Something, I don't know what, but Jehoshaphat saw through them very clearly and very quickly. And all these prophets claim to be prophets of the Lord. But Jehoshaphat was like, ain't you got somebody here that we can talk to besides these guys? Because this is, this is clearly not... These are not God's prophets. And Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. So Ahab, he's already had run-ins with Micaiah. Uh, some scholars say after he made the uh, treaty with Ben-Hadad, there's a prophet mentioned in the Bible that went to approach him, and he made himself up to look like a soldier who had been wounded in battle, and he came to another soldier and asked him to strike him and to cut him, to give him a wound. And the soldier refused to strike him. And he cursed him and said, you'll be eaten by a lion. 
He got eaten by a lion. So he came up to another soldier and said, Strike me. And that soldier actually struck him and wounded him. And then when Ahab came by, he called him out. Some the Bible doesn't tell us who this was, but people who study the Bible for a living, a lot of them feel that this was Micaiah. And that was how Ahab had such ready access to him because he knew where he was. Because after he uh, was able to confront him in front of his entourage, he kind of laid hands on him. And uh, part of our text today kind of indicates he was going back to where he had came from. Uh, maybe, maybe not. It's really irrelevant. But uh, he's obviously had some talks with uh, Ahab before, and he doesn't like what he has to say. But unfortunately, it's the truth. And uh, a lot of times in this world, there's a lot of things that are said and need to be said and are never said. And we need to speak the truth in love at any given opportunity. I had an incident very, very, very long ago. I was just an EMT working in Granger County trying to get some experience to get into school. Early one morning, I probably shouldn't identify this person, but he was an elected official once upon a time, and he had retired, and his dad was sick, and he was refusing to go to the hospital. So he came to the station. He said, need you boys to go out there and talk to my daddy, check him out a little bit. said, he's sick. He needs to go to the hospital. Okay, we'll be right there. We'll follow you. It's pre-911. I mean, this is back when you answered the phone and you took your own directions to get to people's houses. So we followed him out there and we went in. And I told him what he needed to hear. And he went to the hospital. We took him to the hospital. And uh, later on that evening, um, 12, 14 hours later, he came back by. He said, I want to talk to you. I said, okay, what have I done? He said, appreciate what you've done. He said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I've spent a lot of years in elected office, and uh, you need to understand you're a young man that when you tell people what they need to hear, sometimes you're not going to make many friends, and people are not going to appreciate what you've got to say. And he said, I've maintained my position in office for years by telling people what they wanted to hear rather than what they needed to hear. And he said, I appreciate your honesty, and I appreciate what you did for me, and I appreciate what you done for my dad. And I've never forgot it. It made an impression on me. Um, there's very, very few times, I can count them on one hand easily, that I ever helped somebody and they returned to hunt me down, to thank me for what I did for them. So they, I remember them all. But this is the same incident here. Ahab knew what he was doing was wrong. He knew that he was not following the laws of God, yet he continued to do so, and God continued to reach out to him, to bring him back, to send prophets to talk to him. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. We have verse 9. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Uh, I 
Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together. Wait a minute, that's not next. Now the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, was sitting each on his throne, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor of the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. Now, stop here just a minute. Let's picture this. All right, they're out in the gate of Samaria. We've got 400 prophets going on. These kings are decked out in their robes, and we've got quite a circus going on. And we've got men out here that truly believe that they're prophesying the will of the Lord. Verse 11. Then Zedekiah, the son of Ken, Ken, uh, Ken, 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 yeah, okay, made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus saith the Lord, With these you will gore the Armenians until they are consumed. So Zedekiah, a false prophet, has determined to use a visual aid, for lack of a, a, a better description here. And he's brought out before these kings to solidify his prophecy. Because he's certain what he's prophesying is from the Lord. Two horns, two kings, together, goring one opponent that's the reason for this demonstration all the prophets were prophesying thus saying go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for the Lord will give it into your hand go up prosper live your best life now this message is still the same today from false prophets telling you what you want to hear rather than what you need to hear everybody wants to hear the words of spoken to Ahab and to Jehoshaphat this goes a lot better when you're not nervous I'll just be honest with you your mind's so much clearer then the messenger who went to summons Micaiah spoke to him saying, Behold now the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king. Please let your word be like the ones of those and speak favorably. favorably. Now come on now. Everybody's on board. Don't come up here with all this. We've done, we've done hash this. We've done took this before the church. They've approved it. We've got other churches on board. We've already done our due diligence. We've already prayed about this. You need to get on board. Don't come in here with no negativity and telling me this is not what you feel like the Lord is leading us to do. Get on board. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that shall I speak. When he came to the king... The king said to him, Micaiah, Shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go up and succeed, and the Lord will give it into thy hand of the king. Told him what he wanted to hear. Exactly what he asked for. 
Well, Ahab saw completely through it. Then the king said to him, How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Well, he asked for it, didn't he? He brought him what he wanted to hear. He gave him the words he wanted to hear. And he asked him for the truth. So he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to each to his own house in peace. Well, what did he tell him? You're going to die. Your people are going to run and flee. You're going to die up there. This is basically as plain as he could put it. Go on. But you're going to die, and I know you're going to go anyway. We're doing pretty good. Verse 19. Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing, standing by him on his right and on his left. The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up to fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, How? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all of his prophets. Then he said, You are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Wow. What just happened there? He broke bad, didn't he? And that's real difficult to understand. The clarity in which Micaiah prophesied. But we've got a lot of places in the Bible that we can understand what's going on. The book of Job was the first place I turned to to try to explain this to you. In Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From whence dost thou come? Then Satan answered to the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? God knew why he was there. God knew what he was thinking. And he laid him right out there for him. For there is no man like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning from away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job... Does Job Fear God for nothing. Have you not made a hedge about him and on his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed him, the work of his hands and the possessions have you increased the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to his face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. 
Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. And again in Job chapter 2 verses 1 through 7, we have another example because we know Satan went and he did just as the Lord allowed him to do. There was a man of us whose name was Job. Where are we at? Job 2, chapter 2, verse 1 through 7. Maybe I've got it wrote down wrong. At any rate, Satan came back after God didn't allow him to touch him, to make him ill. And he came back and said, approached the throne of God again with Job on his heart and on his mind. He said, let me make him sick. Let me touch his body. Let me afflict him. Let me beat him down. Then he'll curse you. And God allowed it. There we go. And again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So what we gather here is what Micaiah is talking about. Satan was frequently coming to and fro, and there's an opening, and there's an opportunity for him to come into heaven and out of heaven anytime he wants to. The door is open at this time. And Zechariah also has an example of this. And we know even Jesus told us, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. Isn't it wonderful to know that although God allows these things to come into our lives and the burdens that we have to bear sometimes to know that Jesus is there and God is there for us and that we know that through our trials and our tribulations that when we look back on them we wouldn't take anything for our journey. The difficulties of life the things that we endure, God's always there. And He brings us through and He keeps reaching out to us. One more thing before we move on here. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 12. We understand that everything goes through the hand of God. Satan is constantly before the throne of God, persecuting us, asking God if he can tempt us, if he can come into our lives with hardships, and God allows it, as we see through these scriptural references here. Now Paul explains to us that it's not without restraint that we understand these things at this time. Now we request you, brethren, with regards to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to Him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if it from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. 
Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed to the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay. And the breath of his mouth, praise God, and bring to an end the appearance of his coming. So Paul tells us, and in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, Paul tells us that there's a day coming that this door will be closed. Satan will be no longer allowed to come into heaven to persecute God's saints. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer war, and a place found for them in heaven. Praise God. There's a day coming that that door will be closed. And when Satan's no longer allowed into heaven to persecute us, and the Holy Spirit's no longer here restraining him, We don't want to be here. The church does not want to be here during this time. Back to our chapter. 23. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all these prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Go ahead, 24. Then Zedekiah, the son of Kenai, oh man, I pronounced it just fine earlier, came near, the, came near and struck Micaiah in the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord pass from me when he came to speak to you? This is a man who was resolved in his conviction. He walked up and smacked another man in the mouth. He was so certain that the prophecy that he was giving was a prophecy of God. Which is why I came to this scripture to start with, and that was my original message. But that's not our message for today. Micaiah says back to him, Behold, You shall see on the day when you enter into a room and hide yourself when all the things that I'm talking about have come to pass and you're running like a little schoolgirl trying to save your own hide. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. Now this is kind of where, you know, return him to. Like that's where he got him from was prison. And say thus to the and say thus says the king 
Put this man in prison and feed him sparingly with bread and water of affliction until I return safely. Micaiah said, If you indeed return safely, then the Lord thy God has not spoken through me. And he said, Listen, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up against Ramoth Gilead. So they've heard enough. It's within their power. They throw the prophet in jail. And they get ready for their battle. Now Ahab, you know, you look and you read these scriptures and it's just so painfully obvious. Let's go ahead and read the next. Yeah, there you go. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into the battle. But you put on your robes and your kingly attire so that the king of Israel will disguise himself and will go into battle. Hey, they can't kill me if they don't know it's me. You know, I'm going to go in and I'm going to be dressed like a regular soldier. You put your kingly robes on. It's all good. We got this. We're going to we're going to shake down God right here. We prevent this from happening. I'm the king. Now the king of Aram had communi- commanded his thirty and two captains of his chariots, saying, "Do not fight with small or great." but with the king of Israel alone. So the king of Assyria has put a target on the back of Ahab. Knock him out, and it's over. It's done. They'll all leave. We'll conquer them. All we got to do is take out Ahab, and we can move right along. So when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, got to hurry, Surely it is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight him and said, Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat cried out. Go ahead, 33. When the captains of the chariots saw that he was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. Real quick right there. I have no idea what went down. You think about it like I did. But somehow Jehoshaphat let it be known that he wasn't Ahab. Now, I don't know if he throwed his clothes off, if he started squealing, I, I don't know, but they figured out that wasn't the man they were after, and, and God had no intentions for him to die there, so they turned away from him. Now, a certain man drew his bow, and at random struck the king of Israel in the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of the chariot, Turn around and take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded. So some archer... Brought an arrow, loosed that thing. It flew right between the seams of the armor, exactly where God wanted to place that arrow. Exactly in the artery, the vessel. Ahab knew when he was hit, it was a lethal hit. Take me out of here. Get me out of here. This is bad. The battle raged on that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot in front of the Armenians, and he died at the evening, and the blood from the wound ran into the bottom of the chariot. People, I'm going to tell you, right there, the way I see it, that's God's grace. None of us know how we're going to live and how we're going to die and how we're going to go out of this place. God reached out to this man. He pursued this man up till his dying day and he brought an arrow into his flesh into a vessel and God knew exactly how many milliliters of blood it would take 
and how long it would take for this to run out of this wound. And they propped him up in his chariot and he had time to think about it. I'm not going to tell you that Ahab was not a bad man, a terrible king. He led hundreds. God pursued him. I don't know the thoughts that went through his mind when he was there, but all of us can think what he thought. And we're not guaranteed that. None of us are guaranteed that opportunity. All of us live our lives like we're someday going to be laying on our deathbed and live our lives exactly the way we want to live our lives and go in and lay down and be diagnosed with an illness and have a few months to think about it and we're going to get right with God. That could be true. I don't know. I'm not going to assure you that that's how it's going to happen for you. You may get out of bed one morning and fall over and that be it. You may have a sin account as long as my leg. And you may have never got right with God. So don't put it off. God wanted this man. He pursued him to the bitter end. And when I say things like this, you know, when I, when I say Judas took the 30 pieces of silver back, he repented. You know, we all need to see bad people punished. That's what we need. We need to see bad people punished. But we're not God, and we don't make those decisions. And God will bless who He blesses, and He'll curse who He curses. And we need to live our lives in every decision, in every day, in every way. We need to seek the path that He would have us to walk. How about you all? Is everybody where they need to be? Have you? Are you living your life? The way that God would have you to live your life? Are you seeking Him in every decision? Do you know, as Jehoshaphat knew, as soon as he spoke the words, whoa, back up. Hang on, God. Where are we? I took a step without you. Forgive me. Now, we've done things differently this morning, and I'm not Larry Jones, and... The point of my message today is that when you stand, come in this church, there'll be a man in this pulpit, and he's going to tell you what you need to hear. And you need to listen to what he has to say. And I've sat here for Reed's five years old, I've sat here for six years, and I've listened to Larry Jones preach plenty of good sermons. And many times I've been convicted, and I like to be convicted, I like to have my... toes stepped on my wife you know she she doesn't hardly see things the way I do but I like to be in a little bit of pain it just pushes me closer to God we're not doing a normal invitation as we're doing this morning we're trying to do an audio of a song that just fits so well to this message And it's about a three-minute song, and I know I'm over, and I apologize. Uh, I had a lot to get through. And uh, thank you all. This altar is open. If you want to come down, if you've got a prayer request, if you want to talk to me, I'd be happy to do so. love to share with you what my God has done in my life and draw you even closer to Him in your walk. You ready, brother?